How are we doing, everybody? It's Fit Food Radio, episode 101. Obviously, with me, Keris, and once again, for about the 50th time, we have Dr. Tommy Wood on the show. How are we doing, Tommy? Uh, doing great. Uh, thanks for having me back yet again. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be like... That is an exaggeration. That would mean that Tommy's yeah, been on half of our podcast. She would. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not true. <laughs> I might be closing in on 10% though. Yeah, because I mean, we storm through them so much. <laughs> it's got, I'm trying to think now. It's got to be it's got at least five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Five times. It's not bad. We get great feedback. Everyone's favourite. Oh, well, in fact, actually, when, because uh, you did a podcast recently with Dr. Chatterjee, didn't you? Yeah, and someone, everyone was like, oh, my two favourite doctors all in one place. <laughs> yeah, Roman's awesome. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Matt, cool. That was Matt, a good interview. Matt keeps laughing at his name. Bit of a wrong one. Bit of a wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to be able to unhear that. <laughs> so I, I thought I, I just thought that would be the first thing that popped into everyone's mind, but clearly not. Every time I say, when we, we did a Facebook Live with him, and everyone's like, oh, wrong one's on the phone or something, he would just absolutely wet himself. And I was like, what are you laughing at? I don't understand. Such a wrong one. <laughs> so, so immature. So immature. Right. So obviously, we've got the awesome Tommy on. He's always a, a wealth of knowledge um keris has been having a good chinwag with him before we pressed record and um i'm assuming you've decided what we're going to be talking about today to be fair we should probably press record when we're having our chat tommy because you were oh, yeah. some real nuggets <laughs> i was questioning you well quizzing you about cancer wasn't i um tell everyone what you told me about apricot kernels just in case they are taking 20 a day for b19 to oh, not get cancer. To cyanide poisoning <laughs> right. pretty much um yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, cancer is difficult and I don't pretend to be a cancer expert, but when it comes to some of the some of the things that people have recommended, apricot kernels is pretty close to the top of my list of really don't do that. Um, multiple, um, multiple reports in the scientific literature and in the uh, general news media, which show or say that people who take apricot kernels for cancer can die of cyanide poisoning. And you know that nice almondy taste that you get from an apricot kernel? That's cyanide. Oh, really? Don't eat it. Um, there's lots of other things that you can and should do, but apricot kernels is not one of them. You, Matt will disagree on the nice almondy taste. You hate them, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I couldn't stand them. It's like, he said it's like gone off marzipan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really ranted. Um, well, what a way to open a show. I know. They <laughs> Straight top in there. Top tip. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but in, um, isn't it, it's in apple pips as well, isn't it? And is yeah. it, should we not really eat seeds generally? This is just off track. This wasn't what we we're going to podcast about, but just thinking about it. Because it must be full of nutrients to not be eaten, ideally. And, that, yeah, anti-nutrients. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of, that forms part of the basis of certain aspects of paleo, particularly the autoimmune paleo diet. And now some of the more like anti-plant-based diets, carnivore-type diets, um, is that the anti-nutrients in plants, for various you know, reasons, um, are trying to stop you eating them, particularly the, particularly the, the seed, because you know, that's, that's a potential new plant that you've eaten, and the plant isn't very happy about that, because you, know, you basically stopped it reproducing. So um, certain seeds, absolutely. However, you know, there are plenty of seeds which have been shown to have health benefits and certainly don't seem to be uh, causing any issues and some of those anti-nutrients can actually have beneficial effects you know they can have like a a hormetic effect so even though it's a slight stress to the body you end up you know producing better um 
antioxidant defenses and maybe you'll upregulate some mitochondrial function and things like that. So, so some of them can certainly have benefits, but some, you know, you know, cyanide is not a hormetic stressor you want to play with. <laughs> let's just put it that way. But wouldn't um, you have to consume like a pretty vast amount? Well, it's twenty. You, you're told to have twenty a day as a kind of cancer prevention. Twenty what? Uh, apricot kernels. No, but I mean, I'm talking about you know, like you said about apples. Oh, I see. You know, yeah, like, you wouldn't eat apples. Yeah, you don't eat apples. yeah it's true. So, I mean, no, I, no, but I, I eat apple seeds. Yeah. But, you know, as in, like, I eat the whole apple. I don't go to the shop and say, like, <laughs> you've got any apple seeds. Yeah, that's because you're greedy. <laughs> you just eat everything. Well, to be fair, like, I do. I even eat the stalk. I do that sometimes, too. And, I'm, you know, I'm not worried about something like Matt having a few apple seeds, but kids. Definitely animals like pets definitely shouldn't get apple seeds. Oh. Um, so I mean, so it depends on various things, but still, it's not it's not something I'd actively consume. Let's put it that way for any kind of health benefit. And is it? I can't remember if I read this somewhere that the antinutrients increased more towards the kind of stalk of something like broccoli. So because where the where it would be grown in the ground, it wants to protect that a little bit more from being eaten by an animal, so it could grow again. So you shouldn't yeah. eat certain aspects. Like he, Matt likes the whole bit of broccoli, the stalk bit, don't you? Mm. Even that gives him really bad wind. But <laughs> well, I just, I just don't uh, like wasting any food. Well, so yeah, so yes and no. And the so so for broccoli, that's a certain case. But say particularly for broccoli and other members of that family, when you break down those cells, you activate. Um, uh, an enzyme called myrosinase and then the precursor to, um, to uh, sulforaphane or similar compounds. So glucoraphane gets converted to sulforaphane. And people are taking sulforaphane now because it activates NRF2 and all those other things that I mentioned. Um, so, so, yeah, so yes, and no. so, the, so that's, that's the perfect example of a plant defense compound that we're pretty sure is having ben- beneficial effects in humans. So if you look at uh, cruciferous vegetables, again, it's it's not um, a randomized controlled trial. They haven't done any intervention studies, although they're starting to do them uh, with uh, sulforaphane um, in cancers and some other things and looking at the, at the downstream health benefits. But they seem that's one of the reasons why cruciferous vegetables seem to be associated with, with health benefits. Um, again, it's epidemiological studies, so there's a huge number of issues there. But that's because of the plant defense compounds that are causing a uh, response in the body that then helps you upregulate some other things you might want more of. When you're reading all this stuff, Tommy, do you then change what you're eating? I mean, that's the purpose of the podcast today. We're going to ask you about your own kind of how you've evolved your approach to both nutrition and uh, functional testing and training. Um, but because you're reading all this stuff, because when I read stuff, my, you can like I basically veg order every week changes. And that's like, what is this? And why have we got seven boxes of it? And it's like, we've got to have seven servings of this because it's anti-cancer, it's anti-inflammatory, blah, blah, blah. Do you do the same? Um, uh, not really. Uh, occasionally, usually, if I order something new, it's because um, it's popped up somewhere and it's interesting, and the evidence, you know, the the research behind it, even if it's not perfect, you know, I'm kind of I'm interested in it. But then equally, we have a lot of clients who are asking about it, and a lot of clients who are going to try it. So I just I need to know more about it. So as part, so those things tend to be part of my own research rather than because I'm convinced it's going to make me healthier if that makes sense and equally you know all these things that were being you know supplements and things people are telling you to, to, to take if it's going to have an effect it's going to be over months or years so yeah. changing it every week isn't probably isn't going to make any difference um but uh another question you asked oh yeah in terms of in terms of in terms of researching things um yeah i 
I occasionally will add stuff, but I have a fair, I do have quite a high threshold. Elizabeth might argue that point because I end up with a lot of random stuff in cupboards, um, <laughs> stuff that I buy and stuff that people send to me. Um, but in general, for something to like make a permanent spot on my on my list, it, it would take quite a lot. But so part of this that we talked about was that remember the I talked about Hormiti. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's favourite tea. So actually, part of the part of the idea behind that was that whole kind of sulforaphane plant-based compounds that can activate certain parts of the um, certain pathways that, that that we think are beneficial in terms of um, uh, both in terms of metabolic health and some other things. So so that's that's kind of that's kind of part of it. So so if we can bring some of that stuff in and use it use it occasionally again, I don't think I don't think those things you should be doing every day, but occasionally you know potentially uh, potentially a good thing. Uh, but I, I do try. I do probably have quite a high threshold for something that becomes a, a lasting part of my routine. Just mainly because I'm lazy, so I just forget <laughs> to do it, and then it just stops happening. So, Tommy, mate, like we often, um, well, not often, but occasionally, I'd say we we might receive a message from someone saying, "Ah, oh, um, I noticed in your first book you said, you know, X, Y, and Z, whereas now I'm kind of get the impression that." you don't really feel that way anymore like why is that etc cetera, etc cetera. and some people are actually quite arsey about it almost like you know like we're, we're almost not allowed to change our mind on things and and i always go back and say well to be honest with you like uh we have changed our stance on things over the years but you know as long as you're not changing your mind every five minutes and just going with any new trend that's coming out or yeah. you know in the media i think it's a sign of a good a good coach, a good practitioner, a good teacher to kind of show that you're always evolving. And we, we put our hands up, don't we? And we say... I feel guilty about what I wrote about peanuts in that first book. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, it's a blinking good job because if anyone saw how much peanut butter you yeah. consume now, you'd be you'd be done for, for fraudulent... I feel like I told them peanuts would kill them. <laughs> well, but, but to be fair, like those are some really great examples because even in the first book, we were a bit more i suppose uh oh we were strict paleo weren't well we? strictish yeah. yeah you were you were more so than me and it was like you know gluten will make your eyes bleed i didn't say that <laughs> didn't say, but no but in my defense we had things like coffee and wine and chocolate and said like flexibility but our second book was much more i'd say like realistic you know tommy because you you helped kind of prove it but more realistic more kind of you actually helped us modify the science side and said you know with regards to legumes and things like that i don't really think they're going to be a massive problem where was your what was your question Matt sorry well no so my question was going to be you know like we've you know we we've kind of you know changed our stance on on a few things and if anything just become a little bit more laid back and looked at the the bigger picture of what health is as opposed to you know you can never eat gluten ever again or you know don't touch white potato you know it's always got to be a sweet potato and like really crazy things like that which um you know I put our hands up we got a little bit carried away with it at some point didn't we and and I think like but as I say, I genuinely believe it's a sign of a you know a good a good a good teacher. Like, is there anything that's over the years, however many years that you've changed your stance on a little bit? Anything that you've completely changed your stance on based on kind of like new evidence coming out or that your anecdotal stuff that's worked for you or clients? Have I made sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Tommy had a, like, had a real life. The, the, no, I was just I was thinking the the. Mm-hmm. The paleo diet is, I mean, just like what you described, I think I went through something very similar over the last 10 years, say, when I first started reading about it. it, You know, it starts off as a compelling story, and then, you know, the more you dig down into the evidence and the more you you read 
the papers that are being used to support that stance, like some of the some of the references in Lauren Cordain's original book and on his website are just, I mean, they make me lol pretty hard now. Um, <laughs> just because, just because it, it doesn't support the the, um, the the point that's being made. And I think I maybe even spoke about that when we did that when I came and spoke at one of your events a, a couple of years ago. Um, so, so that's probably one thing. Like, certainly relaxed um, some of that stuff in terms of um, sort like sourcing of or sourcing of food or types of food. You know, dairy probably isn't going to kill you. Uh, gluten isn't necessarily going to kill you. Legumes aren't going to kill you. You know, peas and beans. And I don't think I ever put it in that strong language, but I certainly recommended some people don't eat them when that was probably the wrong advice to give. So that's that's certainly the case. And now I'm at a point where ten different people will come to me and I'll recommend ten different diets um and vastly different diets you know i'll cover literally every end of the spectrum uh based on what i think is going to be best for them and that you know and and often it's it's an empirical choice do i know that this is going to be the best thing for them no i don't but and if it doesn't work then we'll change and i and when we work with people we're very upfront about that we're like we're going to try this we think this is why it's going to work for you if it doesn't work for you we'll need to try something else um and I, i think you can only be honest about that. You know, there's there's so much stuff now about nutrigenomics and all that kind of stuff. Most of it, 99.9%, is complete nonsense. That that evidence does not exist yet. It may well exist someday that you can tailor your diet based on your genetics. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist currently. Certainly not to the extent that that those companies will tell you that it does. So a lot of the time, it's just trial and error, and you and you have to um, figure out what works best for people. Um, over time and do that in a methodical manner uh, if you can and so that's the that's probably probably the major change um can you give us an idea other... of how they might differ where are you differing in, term, in terms of a, a kind of macro perspective or is it kind of meal frequency meal timing like how would you when you say they're different what kind of key things do you do you vary yeah in? so 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 all of the above um uh in athletes it may be increasing meal frequency uh increasing um, total calories, incre- you know, playing with macronutrients, both from you know com- very low carb to very low fat, from very rich in animal products to you know very few animal products for for periods of time for various reasons, usually because of um, fat content and some other things. So, like literally, I mean, in general, I think protein is a variable that I don't play with that much. Um, I'd rather play with meal frequency and the fasting window. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think that's going to give you most of those benefits. Um, but certainly there, there have been times when, when maybe people have recommended uh, less protein, but that happens less often just mainly because of the, the population, uh, the athletes that we work with. Usually they need more of everything. Um, but so, so literally, I, I, you know, all aspects of that could change. Sometimes it's also new paleo, sometimes it's a low-fat, whole foods, plant-based, um, vegan-style approach, which are almost completely opposite in many different ways. But the big but, you know, if you use the right diet at the right time, you can get better results. And in terms of what would inform that, is it certain conditions, as in health conditions, or are you deciding to go one route or the other based on individuals' preference or any blood markers? Or Yeah, uh, uh, both, both, all of the above. The, the preference obviously com- comes into play sometimes. So I was working with a client the other week who, um, for various reasons, I think we wanted to go down an autoimmune paleo type route, but um, they were uh, less interested or they just weren't going to eat um, animal protein like uh, dairy and eggs were okay, even though they wouldn't fit on an autoimmune paleo diet. How would you manage that? (laughs) Weren't going to eat meat. So 
we kind of worked around some of that stuff we did um egg yolks and some some other things and, and then focused on fish rather than on um some of the more, you know some of the other animal products or meat that i would i would like to recommend um but you just kind of have to you have to tailor it um based on the person's preferences too so that's that's one option and you know then the main reason is if you if you tell them to eat something that they're just not going to eat right you that um that relationship is immediately broken down you're not going to achieve anything so there's no point in pushing something that somebody doesn't want to eat um and then other things so we we occasionally get people where i think um um endotoxemia is an issue so endotoxins being produced in the gut um saturated fat particularly seems to be the best at shuttling those across the gut wall there is some evidence to suggest that if you dramatically reduce fat intake then you can escape some of those um some of those issues and that tends to be based on symptoms around eating symptoms of certain foods um you know some people uh sort of if they put a whole load of butter in their coffee actually rather than turning into superman like they're told um actually just feel a little bit kind of foggy and weird and that that's a, that's a good symptom um for me to follow in terms of manipulating fat intake so you might do that for a period of time while we're doing this because it's going to be issues with the gut so while we're doing gut treatment protocol and then we start to add some of those other foods back in so it's definitely a short-term thing rather than a long-term thing um then down the other side you know anybody with um evidence of metabolic disease insulin resistance we certainly have a few people who are at risk of cardiovascular disease uh, where we've seen some reversal of their disease on coronary artery calcium score by going on a um like a low carb ketogenic um approach uh so so all of those things come into play depending on so so that's blood markers symptoms personal preference uh, i think you could take all of it into account um more or less quick question on that um you know the um so the saturated fat metabolic endotoxemia stuff yeah um i switched to using a little bit more olive oil for cooking and there's studies on olive oil and cooking saying because of its polyphenols it's fine to heat you still get that argument back when i'm kind of at events and stuff people are still arguing it should only be a saturated fat that you cook with not a monounsaturated fat what's your opinion on that people are still fighting that argument i still think in the grand scheme of things there's bigger things to argue about but because of the, the kind of saturated fat stuff i switched gut clients i'll often go go back to olive oil and they'll come back and say but we're supposed to have saturated fats so i should take yeah, so again it's just like everything has to be taken in the correct context and i think i think we talked about this on a previous podcast on maybe, maybe just briefly but um <laughs> so many the, on me, it's hard to keep track yeah no no that's all right and i'm happy to revisit it um, <laughs> but with with certain with certain oils uh, particularly um the high uh, oils that have a lot of uh, polyphenols or tocopherol vitamin E they are resist they are much more resistant to um, oxidation mm. Uh, when when you heat them so olive oil you know has been shown again in multiple studies that even through repeated uh, cycles of heating and cooling um it, it it seems to be protected if you compare that to the highly refined vegetable oils you know olive oil is certainly much much better yeah. um i i think like though i'm not a huge fan something like a cold like a cold pressed fancy rapeseed oil would be would be similar to an olive oil you, you know it's kind of has the, you, you can see that it, it contains some of those antioxidant compounds and just because of the color so those kinds of oils are going to be more protected um so i so I, i mean i wouldn't really worry about it i mean you can you, you do get some weird to so say with coconut oil you do get some weird um products produced and you can smell you know it smells kind of soapy as the some of those um some of those products kind of uh, vaporize i don't think it's dangerous uh, but like no 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 fat is perfect mm. uh, so you just and and again depending on your personal context what other health things are going on pick the best one and again it's that 
be confident that the thing that you're doing is, is the right thing to do. Because if you're constantly questioning and you know uncertain of all the things that you do, I think that's more detrimental than you know using the audible. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, do you know this reminds me? Years ago, we um, we had a stand at uh, the, uh, what was it called? Food Foodies Fest Battersea. Yeah. Is that what it's called? It's an irrelevant piece of No, no, it's not relevant. <laughs> yeah, I told you I like to paint a picture. <laughs> um, and someone was asking, we had like samples, you know, of course I made my scotch eggs and they went down mm-hmm. a storm. Keris made a load of like the cakes from the Fit Food books and whatever. And we had some samples and some woman got kind of like chatting to us and she was like, oh, um, you know, so what's in these then? And, and, and I was like, oh, you know, just went for a few of the ingredients, like gluten-free, blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, yeah, but there's um, but there's vanilla essence in this. And I was like, yeah. She was like, well, then it's not all natural then, is it? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, it's just a little bit of vanilla essence. She was like, yeah, but the alcohols. And I was like, yeah, but we use like half a teaspoon. Like, and I'm it, sure you mean extract rather than essence. What did I say? Oh, we did essence. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. essence. Like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, sorry, extract. My bad, my bad. And, um, and I was like, yeah, but. It's like the tiniest minuscule amount because with with extract you don't yeah, need much, do you? It's quite potent stuff. Well, it's not anymore. You have to yeah. use loads. And you and you'll have cooked it, so any of the alcohol, yeah. not that it's an issue, but, yeah. but the she, alcohol she would have poured up. She started anyway. going absolutely bananas, and and I was like, and I just like literally put my hand on her shoulder, and I was like, you know what? G- good luck. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, you know, if this is going to be your approach to nutrition, then you've got a bumpy road ahead of you because. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. And I just think, like, despite us changing our stance on things, we've never been that obsessive, anal yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about stuff. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Obsessive. Don't use that. Well, I've used it now. It's too yeah. late. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what have you changed, then, Tommy? Do you reckon in terms of over the last few years? Do you, are you kind of, are you being influenced by the kind of plant-based movement? I'd, li- I'd love it if you locked up one day vegan. <laughs> what, uh, what no, so, I mean. There's going to have to be a lot more evidence before that before that happens. Um, although, so I do think they have, I do think they have valid points, and I and I don't, um, I definitely disagree with the people, even people who I am more likely to agree with on most things, who who you know say that this is definitely not how people should be eating. You know, there's no benefits to it whatsoever. Like, I'm sure that the doctors and the researchers who are doing it are seeing benefits. Uh, in their patients. And yes, you know, you can argue that some of the studies change a lot of stuff. So they improve sleep mm. routines and they, you know, uh, did meditation and, and yoga and, and, you know, great. Um, and that, that's perfect. If, if it's the whole package, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole package. If some of it's placebo, you know, great. Uh, what, what's the risk? The risk is very low. Um, when you're doing uh, stuff like that, yeah, I think you should check some some basic blood markers and you can figure out if you need to supplement or maybe there are other foods that you should be eating, you know, that are going to be beneficial because of their nutrient content, you know, and you can absolutely personalize that to you. So I'm not, I, I, I try and bring in all the information that, that I possibly can. So whereas, you know, again, previously I might have been super anti-vegan and, and like a vegan diet that's, you know, chocolate and pizza um, <laughs> and like tofu bacon and <laughs> chips, right? I mean, come on, who like tell you tell me that that's healthier because you're not eating animal products? That is nonsense. Yeah. But like, if you're actually eating real whole food, mm-hmm. great. You know that that, that that can be great for some people. And um, I do, um, I you know, so I can't give too many details, but I, you know. I can think of one sport where I where I do some consulting and two pretty much of the best athletes in the world at that sport at, at similar times 
decided to go on a vegan diet. One did great, the other one just completely fell apart. You know, mm-hmm. so these are part of the things that that you have to take you have to take into account. Um, other things that I've changed definitely focused on training less personally. I definitely did a lot better once I reduced my training volume. Um, What's that now on the, a weekly basis? Are you like three? Yeah, so I'll I'll probably still train like four or five days a week at least. Um, what maybe were you doing? For, yeah. <laughs> what were you doing? That's still quite a lot. Oh, no, no. So, so before it would be, well, so, so it's the intensity and stuff too. Yeah. So, you know, I'll go to, you know, I'll uh, go to the gym. I have, I have a gym in my, my back garden now. It's like been my dream to build that and it's awesome. Um, so, so I mainly just lift weights. I've been focusing on strength. I don't do anything particularly high volume, high intensity. I don't do a lot of circuit training. I don't do a lot of, you know, occasionally I do some sprints on the, the airdyne or the rower or something. Um, but I just don't spend a lot of time really crushing myself, you know, at that kind of level of intensity. And I think that's, um, uh, I think that's one of the most important things that we, that we talk about with a lot of our athletes too, is that, that, that mode of training where you're really on some kind of limit for a long period of time. So in endurance athletes, it's often around lactate threshold, you know, and you'll, you'll be there for 20 minutes multiple times in sets or you know you sit there for like an hour or something or you'll go for a run and just like run as hard as you can for an hour that's the kind of training that actually probably has the some of the least amounts of benefits although it does have a it's good for mental toughness but it's not necessarily good for your physiology mm. um and you know it's the hardest to recover from it's hardest on the gut all these kinds of things so we we try and polarize things more so lots of long slow aerobic style training and then short sharp bursts of intensity and that seems to give the best benefit and again we have some people who uh go onto that try you know they, they polarize the training more and they do really really well and some people you know for some reason they just perform better if they're just like out and they just like crush themselves continuously again so, it's, so it has to be a personalized thing but in general both for me and the vast majority of the people we work with um lots of you know long slow stuff walking hiking generally you know gardening um followed by some some lifting of weights and sprints and stuff that seems to be the best so so that's that's another thing that i've changed a lot uh, for myself because i used to train multiple hours a day lots of running spin classes uh circuits with weights um and it was just you know i, I was never fu- i was never fully recovered and the fact that i'm now you know much stronger than than i was um you know, you know, even a few years ago when I was, you know, training a lot harder, I think that I think that, I think that says a lot. Um, I haven't done a heavy deadlift for years, and I, you know, the other day I went to the gym and I I picked up something I haven't picked up for a set of three maybe ever, and I, you know, just haven't been deadlifting. But just like that, that just because I've been reducing my body and been looking after myself, but you know, you can maintain and gain strength much faster. So, Do you know, I think that's, um, that's something we can both relate to as well, isn't it? Over the years, in terms of reducing our you know, training frequency, intensity, and just being a bit more laid back about it, I think. You know, that's yeah. been the biggest thing for me. Like, I used to freak out if I didn't hit a certain amount of sessions per week. And, yeah, yeah. you know, back in my bro days, if you will, you know, and it was, it, whereas now I'm just much more chilled out, much more laid back. I think it works well for so, me. Sometimes too chilled out. I'm like, are you going to go like, to the Matt, gym? Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> You've not left the house for three days. He's back there with his flat cap on, and he's just like getting into the country. Like an old life. man just walking. <laughs> Every time he does nowadays, he gets injured. So maybe exercise is bad for you. It is. That's what I'm saying. Time to work on that beer bit. 
I do think he's paying for, because you've done it since you were about 10, and it's been like rugby, it's been basketball, we've had football, boxing, it's all been impact sport, and I think now your body's like... Yeah, but like I'm definitely, um, you know, I certainly learned my lesson the hard way, for sure. But I suppose what I was going to say was, is I suppose because now I don't necessarily have... Like, I'm kind of just happy maintaining what I've got right now. You know what I mean? In terms of, like, I don't want to get any bigger... I don't any. I don't have any solid like out and out strength goals at the moment. You know that might change soon if I decide to give myself a little bit of a challenge to like mm. deadlift three times my body weight or something like that. I don't know, but for now I just feel really quite content where I'm at in terms of like you know I, I like how I look. For you know you know I'm quite I've become like attached to my my free pack. Um, <laughs> you know I'm, I've, I always maintain a decent level of fitness and strength even if I do have a bit of a break from weights. And it's, yeah. for me, that's quite a good place to be because I, I don't freak out if I miss a session. You know, some weeks I, I might lift weights twice. Another week it might be four times. Another week I might not lift weights at all and just do loads and loads of running. But so for me, yeah. that's more like, I suppose, a, a mindset shift than it is anything else. Because... You also, like, ran, very randomly, Matt has real blood sugar issues if he goes, I mean, it's not randomly really, but you think, like, you know, the harder you train, the, the heavier he lifts, the, you know, the more benefit it might have. That's what most people think. Yeah, if you go and do now a heavy session, he'll come back and he'll be like, oh, God, blood sugars have dropped, shaky. And then you're basically straight in the sugar of some sort, aren't you? Yeah. But, and so you've noticed the scaling back. Your nutrition is better. Your gut's better. You notice mm. the same, same benefits that you have as well. Like, everything gets better. But it's just kind of, that is also your your driver is, is the hardcore challenge stuff. You like pushing boundaries. No, I, I, still, I still enjoy training hard. And, and what I find is, though, is that, I can still maintain a very good level of, you know, volume and intensity in my workouts, even when I've maybe had a bit of a break. But I think a lot of that, I think sometimes before you have a week off, all of a sudden you're like, oh God, that first session is going to be so hard. It's going to yeah. be so, like, it's almost like you, you do it to yourself. Whereas yeah. now I'm just like, yeah, cool. And in my head now I'm a bit like, I've had a week off, I've been eating really well, I've been sleeping really well. I'm going to be just fine. And lo and behold, I normally am just fine and, and everything's as it was you know if you start going for leaving two or three weeks then yeah you're going to see a going to see a dip but i just think you know a lot of that comes down to just getting your your head in the right place so yeah Here, here's to training less we're going to start a movement <laughs> what about um uh, supplements tommy in terms of either from a training perspective or general perspective have you changed your approach on that because you must get again same like coming across literature and scent free stuff yeah so i so i mean we 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 do uh use quite a few supplements uh with our clients but actually a lot of the same stuff comes up up again and again um both in terms of just like general health or performance if we're talking um athletic uh type pursuits um and i think some of the stuff that we maybe used previously we've sort of uh rolled back on a little bit um so but so like for, for myself uh, I'll still use uh, protein shakes after the gym. I take creatine. I think most people probably should. I take um, extra glycine or collagen to go with that. There's some great uh, data on that for recovery, but also you know for like amino acid balance. We probably don't get enough glycine. Uh, some nice papers that came out a few years ago um, that that sort of go through why that is. You can't you can't make enough yourself. So even though it's not an essential amino acid is conditionally essential, essential and you're probably not getting it as much as you should. Um, Actually, can I just stop you there, Tommy? So yeah. 
that is a really good point. And I recently, we did the same. We've got glycine and we've got collagen in the cupboard. But I heard an argument back saying, but the body will just do transamination and it doesn't matter. As long as you get the essentials in, you don't need the collagen and glycine. What? But you were saying there's... Yeah, so, so that's technically that's true. technically true. Um, but there's a, there's a limit. So for, for glycine specifically, it relies heavily on byproducts of, mes- of methylation pathways. So if um, you're a crappy methylator and... Probably fewer people are crappy methylators than like to think are crappy methylators, but mm-hmm. you know you need that system to be functioning well, um, and you may offload some of that requirement. So say by take so I think by taking creatine, I think you offload some of that uh, issue off the system. Creatine is one of the things you use most a lot of methylation for. It's also something you use um, glycine for. But um, yes, you can technically do it. But what's um, enough to keep you alive, and what's the you know sort of the upper limit for benefit? I think there's you know, adding some is going to be beneficial. And again, I'd be happy to send you these two papers. They go through the, the, the pathways very nicely. They talk about how much you can produce versus how much you might ultimately need. That need is going to be higher in people who are training regularly because of, um, you know, you're going to need it for recovery and repair. So, yes, technically true, but not the best approach. I think it's because it's quite safe to supplement with and you think about all the things you use glycine for in the body. I would think it's quite a good, I would think it's quite a good investment in terms of, it's not expensive either and it's one to help. Yeah. But the, I mean, and the important thing is, like, remember, A, um, our ancestors, if they ate animals, they focused on a lot of the stuff that would have contained more glycine. Than, yeah. There's not much gly- glycine in a fillet steak, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, if, if you were actually eating um, the intestines and the organs and the connective tissue and stuff, which we probably would have done a lot more of, um, then you probably have that covered. But we just don't. We don't eat that anymore. So you could do that too. You know, you don't have to take it in a powder. I'm very happy for you to go and eat that stuff. You know, tripe and all those good things. Great. Um, <laughs> so, so, so it just depends. Just depends on on how, on how you want to do it. Um, and then um, equally, if you think about all the things that make up an animal which is what we are, and those things that we do and don't eat, the things that we don't eat are the, the things that have the glycine in, yeah. right? It's kind of an extension of the previous point. But that's you still have all that stuff on your body. You still need to make it. So I think we, I think most people could probably do probably do with more, more glycine and collagen. So how would you, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but glycine, when you, when you mix it with like liquid, goes... Like, no, that's gelatin, isn't it? Yeah, no, sorry, it's got, yeah, so gelatin, 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 sorry, exactly. right? Sorry, my bad. Sorry, but I'm all over the shop today. You know, I blink in vanilla essence. I was waiting for you to justify some kind of Haribo intake. Yeah, that's what up. I was waiting for. No, I was waiting for you to say that this is why you should eat gelatin. Vitamin C gummies because they have gelatin and vitamin C. Yeah, so that's like for recovery. That's good. They did. Um, there was a study. I think it was done out of UC Davis, I think it was Keith Barr's lab, where they, they basically gave people Ribena for vitamin C plus glycine. It actually improved um, tendon and ligament Don't tell recovery. him this. Brilliant. That will appear in the cupboard, like, tomorrow. Well, like, There'll t- be Ribena t- t- in t- our t- cupboard. A Ribena collagen smoothie. I'll get the Ribena tooth kind. Yeah, exactly. What about, um, do you take anything for like micronutrients or, or detox or anything else in terms of on a uh, regular basis? Yeah, yeah. But I take a, I take a good multivitamin. Um, that's probably my main, my main thing. Every day um, or like every couple of days? 
Uh, it's usually every day. I haven't taken it for the last few days because I ran out. But not worried about it. I've ordered some more. It'll be here soon. I thought, um, I thought you were looking I a bit think... peaky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, again, it's, it's not, you know, most things, you know, if you don't get the perfect amount every day, you're going to be fine as long as you're good the rest of, you're good the, rest of the time. So, so yeah, um, I also occasionally take um, some magnesium uh, before bed. I think probably most people can do with more, more magnesium, particularly, again, people are training hard, sweating a lot, uh, same with zinc and some other things. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it of all the things that I take regularly. Multivitamin, have a protein shake after the gym, creatine, collagen. Quick question on the, um, just on the multivitamin. One thing I thought was, although the Bs are important, if you are eating a kind of mixed diet, you get a lot of B vitamins if you're eating all your green leafies and that kind of stuff and eggs, whatever, liver. So do you, what do you reckon? I kind of went through a phase of just doing a mineral complex because one thing I am kind of concerned about is things like iodine, selenium, especially here in the UK, and even the kind of organic veg shops now have got it from Spain and all over the world and stuff. So it's not even... It's quite hard to get local seasonal food. It shouldn't be, but it is. So yeah. I kind of think, it, is there any benefit to doing just kind of minerals some days and not... You don't always need the vitamin A, you don't always need the vitamin B, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. And particularly, I mean, there, there is a lot of truth to the fact that water-soluble B vitamins are just pee out, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you take your, your multivitamin, then your pee goes kind of like yeah. a yellow, yeah. smelly color. All right, that's just the extra B vitamins that's you know, coming out. Um, so, are you not concerned about over There's concern about over-methylating. If you have too many B vitamins, that's also, and then there's links with cancer and that kind of, that's why I'm always kind of like, mm, would you be better doing it like every other day? And it depends, I suppose, on the on the amount you use and the intake. Yeah, so to, to, like, if you're if you're generally if you're generally healthy, otherwise, I I don't I don't really worry about that. So there's certainly okay. a possible that so there are um, certainly um, plenty of people who describe symptoms from taking a lot of methylated B vitamins. Um, we very rarely advocate. Um, high dose methylated B vitamins, unless somebody has a, their homocysteine is particularly high. Mm. Um, in general, the multivitamins you use have a, have a mix of different forms um, of both folate and B12, and the doses aren't that high. Um, so we'd rather uh, use slightly lower doses chronically, and then only you know in a targeted manner use very high doses again for short periods of time. If um, will you know will high doses of methylated B vitamins cause cancer, I definitely don't think there's any evidence to suggest that, you know, just because, you know, you do need those vitamins. So uh, particularly um, folate or folinic acid is used for creating DNA. So if you're, you know, uh, rapidly uh, replicating cells, do need that. You can exacerbate the growth of some of those things. Um, If you have more of them, you can also inhibit their growth. If you take like anti-folates like methotrexate, you know, they do have anti-cancer properties for certain cancers. So, I mean, you could think about it that way, but I think for most people, it's not an issue. If you do have symptoms, if you take too many methylated B vitamins, uh, the simplest thing to do is take some niacin because the niacin actually um, uses up those B vitamins when it's it's processed, Uh, uses up the the methyl groups and you pee them out. So niacin is the you got that in the cupboard uh, as well. We've got everything <laughs> yeah, in the cupboard. Like, but, yeah, but one thing I was just going to say, actually, um, oh God, I've got to lose my train of thought about the... Um... Never mind. 
No, because I've done so much on B3 recently. I was like, right, I'll, I'll get that separately. Oh, but, no, no, I was just going to ask, why in America, the, the dosages are really high in, in America in terms of, uh, in the multis, aren't they? They're almost like a thousand times the RDA for B12 and folates. In some of them, like Thorn and, and um, Designs for Health. Do you kind of bring those right down then to like a quarter of that dose or? No, no. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll use the ones. So when, when, I, when I'm talking about high doses, I'm talking about, um, you know, you can get um, targeted methylated B vitamin uh, products that have like multiple grams oh, of, wow, okay. of, of these wow. things. Um, or at least, you know. But what's the benefit to that though? So, so it's particularly, so it's just to reverse a certain deficiency right. or, or an issue, and you do have stores of these things. So, um, you know, they don't need to be taken a long time. And then, as your health improves, you'll often find you need less of them too. So, the issue is when you take them unnecessarily in, in the long term. So, you know, if if we were going to recommend something like that, we have specific lab values that we're looking at with some other symptoms and a bigger picture and then we'll use it for a period of time and then we'll retest and then we'll adjust um so i i think of somebody i work with who had came back with a very high homocysteine was worried about alzheimer's disease um, i put them on um a high dose uh, b12 and folate methylated um within a couple of months that had come down dramatically and then dramatically reduced the dose that's 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 how i'd use them <laughs> i was just gonna ask and do, so do you run tests on yourself on a kind of annual basis are you checking or six months what's your favorite test to kind of run on you your clients for kind of general health yeah we we now run um a very basic set of blood tests and run it through our blood chemistry calculator um so that's the tool that we've developed uh with brian walsh to to basically it, it, it's in two parts so the first part is it just provides better reference ranges that are associated with, with with better health outcomes and we're improving these all the time because there are some some of the reference ranges we had previously we definitely found better evidence and we changed them there are other ones that we know there is better evidence we will change them but so that so it's it's a very dynamic thing that we're changing all the time as, as we learn more uh, we reserve the right to change our mind and you cannot get mad about it because we're just <laughs> getting better like matt said um and so so the first part is the reference ranges which are very different from the normal range you might get from the lab. And then the second part is um, using machine learning algorithms to predict other issues. So based on so a very basic blood test that pretty much anybody can get from their GP if they ask nicely, uh, we can predict a whole host of nutrient deficiencies, toxic exposures, hormone problems, um, some infections. And then we have some summary scores because it can be a, an overwhelming amount of information. So we, so we like focus them down to like a nutrition score and a metabolic health score. Um, an oxidative stress score and some other, some other things just so that you can track that stuff over time. So that's what we'll start with, with all of our clients. And often it, like issues will, will pop up, you know, including from the history or the symptoms. Um, and then we'll, 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 we'll run more tests. So I think it's much better to start with a small panel now and then do other testing based on the other things that you find. And, and this is, again, something that, that we've evolved over time. So we used to, People would come in the door and we'd throw all of the tests at them and then we'd sort of like sift through the wreckage that came in. Um, you know, I think that approach has the potential to do more harm than good because often you'll find stuff and, you know, no test is perfect. And, um, you know, again, we were talking about uh, cancer screening uh, blood tests uh, before we started the podcast and everything has a sensitivity and a specificity. So sensitivity is uh, the likelihood of catching... Um, 
essentially the likelihood of it being a positive test if you truly have that issue. And then um, the specificity is the likelihood of it being negative if you don't have that issue. But if you flip that on its head, it basically means if it's positive, how likely is it that it's truly positive? And so a lot of tests end up focusing on the sensitivity. So they'll pick up problems if they're there, but then they'll have a low specificity. So you'll get lots of false positives. And that's when you start, and that's when you start running it, running into trouble. Mm. Um, and so every test has sensitivity and specificity. It will find stuff that isn't there and it won't find stuff that is there. So, you know, you should be tailoring your testing uh, based on the person that you have in front of you. And we used to think that more information was better. And that, I think that's definitely something that, that we brought back on. So we still do use a whole host of tests organic acids, Dutch, stool tests. Uh, we, we run a lot more, more, you know, extra blood tests if needed, be that for heavy metals or hormones or whatever. But we'll start with the basics. Um, basic blood tests that we understand very well, you know, very well published. We know what they mean in terms of long-term health, all-cause mortality, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll go from there um, as, and when, as and when we need. The benefit of that one, though, <clears throat> so I've used your software a couple of times, it's, it's cheap as well. So as in the, yeah. ba the basic blood test, like you just said, it's either free from a GP if you've got a good GP or it's about £99 to get all those markers here in the UK. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> my mum and dad, I've done them both and they're competing on the, <laughs> the uh, predicted the age. And yeah, the age one, they're like, which one's got the worst age? Um, <laughs> you know, it's useful because they and, and I do extra blood tests on them. But who did have the worst age? My mum, of course. Oh, well, I was going to yeah. say, if it, well, if it was the other way around, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, no, but... I'd feel for your dad if it was the other way around. <laughs> I've got your dad's in front of me. Predicted age of 44. You won't mind if I say that on the no, podcast. No, no, not at all. happy about that. No, no, he's, he's, yeah. He, yeah, he's, his was uh, relatively good. But, yeah, no, it was useful because, as we were discussing before the podcast, the main thing that came up for them was kind of environmental toxins, mm -hmm. which is quite difficult for their generation to get their head around. Like, their friends think I'm just bonkers talking about this stuff. Yeah. Because it's not something that their parents didn't really have to kind of deal with and didn't really, you know, it wasn't, it's, it's affecting every generation more and more. Whereas my dad is now, having had cancer and mum's had cancer, they're much more, okay, we'll look at this. But seeing those test results, they were like, okay, we'll definitely look at this and, and yeah. sauna, which was like, yeah, hey, because I can then go and use it every week. <laughs> basically you, you, you so a lot, a lot i mean the important stuff is that a lot of a lot of the stuff that falls so we predict a huge amount of stuff not all of it's going to be 100 percent correct 100 percent of the time because of sensitivity and specificity our test has those just like just like any others um and each prediction you can see we give you the sensitivity and specificity so the data is based on i think it's now seventy-six thousand uh, people's worth of data wow. we can predict this whole host of other stuff but when you build the so chris built the algorithms and when you, when you build the predictions, you can save 25% of the data. And so you build the model with 75% uh, and you test the next 25%. So you know what the answer is, but you hold that back. And then you can see whether the algorithm predicted it right or wrong. So every test that we have um, has been internally tested. And you can see the sensitivity and specificity for each prediction. Um, but most of the, you know, even though, you know, you might think, oh, crap, I've got this, been predicted this whole host of toxins. But the interventions don't need to be that scary. Um, sauna, uh, make sure you filter your water. Make sure you don't like for the plasticizer. You know, don't drink crappy bottled water. Don't microwave. Don't microwave your food in plastic containers. You know, buy you know certain you know certain organic foods. Um, that's it, right? And that's going to dramatically reduce reduce your burden. So it doesn't need to drive you crazy. There's some simple interventions that you can do. Um, and and so that's that and that's the case for pretty much everything that, that we predict. 
you know, if we're predicting nutrient deficiencies, just eat more of the foods that have those things in. I don't doesn't mean you need to go out and buy a whole host of supplements. So what I really like about it is that if you approach it in the right way, most of the interventions are diet and lifestyle based, and most of them are low risk with a high potential benefit. So that that's the kind of way that we like to use it. What's nice about it as well is is if you if you run it alongside a consultation process, you come up with these kind of like you know a bit of a kind of hypothesis about what might be going on and what mm. system is is kind of faltering and then if you run it through the software and it's backed up and you're like yes bingo um, yeah. so you just have that kind of like moment where you're like yeah I'm really confident in what i'm going to recommend um but i don't know so, some clients i'll definitely show it to some i'll use it on the client but i won't show it to them yeah. because i know what that some of them are like and they're too like you know obsessed with some of this stuff already but yeah that's interesting so i was just going to ask if you still do because i found i test things like stool tests less now because using things like symptoms and consultation processes and just seeing, well, okay, I don't know. It always seems to come up with, I don't know, I've lost faith in some of the stool testing side of things a little bit recently because we've just come up with the same thing all the time. And I was like, well, it's always the same outcome and it's, it's almost always yeast. And it's almost, why not just go in with a kind of antimicrobial, antifungal, you know, kind of four-week program and just see what people, if they improve. Do you find doing you're doing the same now, just kind of? Yes, sometimes. I mean, we definitely got into, into the... Um spiral of testing and treating and testing and treating and testing and treating um and actually if you go you know a good history really know your clients i don't think you need to do that nearly as much and if somebody does have symptoms that we think even if they're not direct gut symptoms but they're symptoms that we think are um, going to be associated with the gut either because of um some other things or you know how they respond to meals and things like that you know we will test just to get a baseline um and, you know, and maybe it will give a, a specific issue that we should be targeting. But but sometimes we end up, um, you know, just you do an empirical treatment protocol. So yeast often like tends to be like there's yeast, but there's something else like more sinister kind of hiding beneath it. Or at least that's been, been our experience. So treating the yeast then kind of uncovers something else, which has sort of been sort of smoldering underneath. So then maybe that requires two different rounds of things. Um, but you can do that with, you know, and... I think we kind of found this, we definitely found this separately and we've developed our own way of working through it, but um, like Michael Ruscio's book on treating gut symptoms and like the methodical approach to first diet and lifestyle and then treatment protocols as needed, it's pretty good, mm. actually. So if people are, are interested, you know, interested in how to approach that and doing it in a methodical manner such that you actually figure out what's going on and, and how to treat it, I think that, you know, that's, a, that's a pretty good book that, that people can start with. Um, so as long as you do things properly uh, and you do them methodically, you don't just like shotgun stuff at random. I think you can dramatically reduce the amount of testing that you need to do and just go, you know, guided on symptoms and stuff like that. You guys need to do a practitioner training course, definitely. Yeah, yeah I just need another like 24 hours every day. And then just say, poor bloke. Yeah. Like, <laughs> never stops, Tommy, does it, mate? Never stop. No, I know, I know. I guess it's a good thing. If there's demand for more of our time, then I guess that we're doing something useful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that will end up being part of the calculator, I think, at least. Um, yeah. We have a membership for practitioners, which includes a monthly webinar, um, and that will build, you know, as that becomes bigger, hopefully, and then that can pay for more of our time. We can invest more time into training, and then people who are members, um, can there'll, there'll be resources to help them, you know, both interpret the calculator, but also do some of the some of the, the, the changes, you know, you know, protocols that they might want to use in their clients and stuff like that. So that's absolutely um, part of the future. Uh, we just, you know, we'll figure out the best way to get there. Exciting. It's like you just... We're going to do mats next. It just takes... Yeah. Let's do mats. 
Gosh. Can we do Matt's live on a podcast? That'd be brilliant. No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> Imagine. I did that once. Yeah. Um, do you know, I actually said it. I'll, I'll be up for that. Why that, not? And we're going to do organic acids on you as well. That'd be interesting. Right. One at a time. Do them at the same time. You may as well do them in the same morning. Pee in a cup and then go get your blood taken. Yeah, yeah well, fair enough. Nice, useful one. You've, you've convinced me. This would be amazing. <laughs> um, not to segue too much. I'm conscious of Tommy's I love, I love that expression. Well. I've, I'm ready That's... to use it. That's the second time in my life I've been able to use it now. I'm quite proud of that. Um, segue. Yeah. So, like, well, obviously, we're talking about. A lot, a lot of stuff we've spoken about is like nutrition, supplements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But a big thing that I, I wouldn't say I've changed my stance on per se, because I suppose I went from not really giving it much for or valuing it very much to valuing it a hell of a lot, and that's just looking at kind of like you know stress. Um, He's going to talk about his rash now. I am. Well done. You know me so well, Keris. Um, you know, like we, we, we've spoken for years, you know, like the, the, the benefits from doing more recovery, more restorative work. And it's, I suppose it's been in about the last year that it's become a little bit more popular, if you will, because, you know, because of the likes of like, you know, Dr. Chatterjee and whatnot, you know, putting that message out there. And it's definitely gaining a bit more, um, a bit more traction. And we've always believed in it, haven't we? And just kind of investing in yourself and, you know, taking a chill pill from time to time. Uh, not literally, by the way. Don't know <laughs> what are these pills you're talking about. Um, St. John's Wort. <laughs> but I had a bit of a breakthrough recently, right? And um, I used to... So bear with me here, because it does involve a rash. But I'll provide a little bit more context in a moment. So if ever I had like a bit of a, a binge, if you will, not a not a binge as such, but let's say I've had a bit of a treat, i.e. like a, a tub of ice cream. <laughs> a, a, bit, a bit of a treat. But that's a bit of a treat for me. Yeah. And a 16-inch pizza. It was a meal deal, so yeah. <laughs> I could have got a 16-inch for the same price of a 12, so it's a no-brainer. <laughs> um, um, and lo and behold, like I, I, never, I never have guilt associated to food i'm not one of those people who's like oh you know i feel i feel fat and horrible you know like i need to get back on it like it's it's normally just uh you know i do it i enjoy it that's that i move on but nine times out of ten about a day or two later i would um i'd I'd normally break out in a rash wouldn't i and it would be like uh on my leg uh on my ankle and it would almost like clockwork be after a little bit of a an excessive sugar or dairy binge or yeah, it's like or, fungal skin. Wasn't it? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a fungal rash. Nice, right? Um, <laughs> but what I found recently was I just had a little bit of a, a breakthrough on a personal level, on a professional level, and I realised that just how stressed I think I'd been for the last kind of like couple of years with you know the, the yeah. general kind of running of the, of the business, lots of stuff going on. Um, you know, the usual stuff that most people have to deal with, but, you know, it's, it, it affects everyone in different ways. And um, sleep was being affected, blah, 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 the usual kind of uh, suspects. And anyway, like I decided that, you know, I had this breakthrough. I felt really good. I felt very grateful. I felt very lucky to have all the things that I have like, in my life. And I just was just decided almost I just wanted to be more chilled out. I wanted to kind of like do all the things that, running an online business should allow me to do and that's spend more quality time with Keris, see the world get outside more etc etc and uh anyway we went away last weekend and i 
safe to say I had a fair few treats, you know, tons of bread, alcohol, ice cream, sugar, the usual kind of stuff. And uh, in my head, I'd already been like, God, this is going to be, my body's going to go mental in a couple of days after this. Anyway, it, it didn't happen. Like there was no rash, there was no breakout. And, and aside from just being a bit more kind of like chilled out about things, like nothing else had changed, had it? Like nothing, you know, aside from obviously feeling a bit more chilled out, sleeping a little bit more, et cetera. But you also, uh, so you know, back to the marathon and yeah. off the back of the marathon, the night before, basically, he was having a few jelly babies. That was just the done thing. Everyone was like, have some jelly babies. When he finished, someone came over with a cold can of Coke and there was like no stopping him. He was like, oh, I'm having this. It's this heaven. Like... Carb loading. It's <laughs> heaven. No, this is after he finished. The he can of Coke. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Cold can of Coke. Imagine getting an ice cold can of Coke after running a marathon in 24 degrees, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd totally drink that. It was the, <laughs> the, the most amazing can yeah. of cocoa I've ever had in my life. And, but, and then we expected... It's, better, we... In a, it's better in a glass bottle, but if that wasn't, you know... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then I said, God, you're after that, running that, you're going to crash and you're going to have all sorts of gut issues and everything. Nothing. Because he was on such a high for about five, six days after the marathon, mm. weren't you? And you were saying, this is power of being happy, you know, that kind of, like, sense of achievement, everything, like just had nothing to do and I was like waiting for the rash to appear and it didn't so I'm like no argument now no and then again soft drinks and then this week this weekend just gone like it was a bit of a bit of a bread binge because we went to this uh, restaurant you really painted the most amazing picture of food right now. <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> hey it's all about balance what I keep telling people it was Keris's uh Keris's dad's birthday meal and we went to this place where all the bread's like freshly baked like you know, you know, comes out, it's warm, it's just, it's, it's so nice, isn't it? Would you eat that, Tommy, if this was you? Yeah. Do you? Yeah, see? Let's check. Yeah. Tommy's got my back. Um, <laughs> so I, I went to town yet again, like on, on the bread and, and everything else. And again, like I've had like no problems at all. No, not even the slightest sign of, of any rash or anything like that. And it's the power of the mind on the No, but I, I do genuinely believe that you know, stress is something that people cannot ignore. And, you know, you can eat well, you know, you can exercise and all of that. But if you've got this this stress in your life, be it work-related stress, relationship-related stress, even like food-related stresses that some people have, you know, in the form of like orthorexia and things like that, people get so wound up about these things. I genuinely think it's, and, and I'm really pleased, it's being focused on a lot more. So I suppose my question is, rather than kind of going <laughs> off on... Yeah, yeah. It was, I just want to talk about myself, really. <laughs> it was very relevant. No, but I suppose my question is, like, have you experienced, like, a, a similar change in your approach to, you know, because I used to very much be... Tell us about your rash, yeah, Tommy. You got any, any rashes? <laughs> um, but, you know, like, mine used to be train as hard as I can, eat whatever I want. Then it evolved a little bit to I should probably eat a little bit better, but I'm still going to train as much and hard as I can. And rest and recovery was for wusses. Um, whereas now I'm more the other way around. I'm like, I value the more rest recovery and more restorative stuff than I do everything else. Yeah. Or the training, I mean. I'm still not sure there was a question in there, but uh, <laughs> I think I know what the question was. Um, so, like, first of all, like, I mean, I completely agree with Matt's approach, and, and mine is very similar, where, you know, I eat really well most of the time, but then if, you know, somebody has gone to the trouble of, or of making this amazing food, um, then I'm absolutely going to enjoy it. And, and I, I, I bet it's very important for me to not feel guilty about it. I'm going to yeah. enjoy it. 
it's going to be great and it doesn't mean the wagon you know the wheels are falling off the wagon or like the whole day is ruined so i can you know like everything else needs to be bad like not like uh, people beat themselves up about that stuff all the time mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna have a treat just enjoy it mm-hmm. and then if you feel guilty about it you've undone all that hard work so i completely so I, i'm i'm completely the same and but the bigger picture i you know i completely agree and this is something that we focus on a, a lot more and and equally when I when I interviewed Rongan, he said something very similar, which is that he he used to think that diet was was the biggest issue, but now stress is actually he finds is the biggest issue with, with his clients, and uh, with for for various reasons, um, you know, both listening to and working with Brian Walsh, we've, we focus a lot on social isolation, how people feel yeah. and interact with others, and the opportunities they take to interact with others, you know, and how they do that, um, you know, other ways of mitigating stress, so be it mindfulness, meditation, yoga. Whatever it is, you know, if you're if you're uh, taking periods of time to go out and, and walk, you know, it shouldn't be music, it shouldn't be podcasts, you know, that sh- that can be a rest, you know, a restful and restorative time. But if you're continuously trying to cram more information in or do more with that time, you're not you're not going to get those benefits. Um, Unless we also food radio. Yeah. Fear food radio, yeah. That's but different. Then after you've listened to that episode, <laughs> enjoy some time without music. without bits of food, yeah. um, if if that's even possible. Um, <laughs> and and then obviously there's the whole sleep piece, which we focus on a lot. And, you know, we, we actually, we find that the, the people who come to us, um, and a lot of them, you know, the majority, not all of them, but the, probably the, the majority, close to the majority are, are athletes or people who have had some kind of athletic goal and they will have lived exactly the way that Matt has lived, the way I have lived, which is that you have to crush yourself. You have to work really hard. You have to continuously be pushing. Um, and you know, then you start to unpack, you know, why is that? What is it that drives you to, to do that? And I know that when I was doing um, increasingly stupid endurance uh, events, I'm pretty sure it's because I didn't really like myself. And I thought that other people might like me more if I did these amazing things. And then you realize that nobody fucking cares. Um, yeah. They just think you're an idiot. And you realize you're doing it because you don't like yourself rather because other people don't like you. Um, so, so then you start to unpack all of that, and I think that's that's really important, and it's difficult to do. And so we have um, we have help. Uh, Simon Marshall is a fabulous sports psychologist, um, and he's our like behavior change expert as well. So he now works with a lot of our clients because that's where we need to focus. You know, a lot of the things that you end up doing in your life, be they because you think that they're positive, or be they things that you're negatively doing to yourself, and you, and you don't know how to get out of it. A lot of that is psychological, and no supplement or um, you know, change in diet is, is going to fix that. And a lot of, you know, the stress and the way it manifests itself in the gut, you know, that's, yeah. you know, you, you can't fix that. You can't fix that with herbs or antibiotics. It, it, you know, you have to break it. You have to break it down and, and, and build up from scratch. So the, the psychological aspect, the stress, the social isolation, you know, the rest and relaxation, all of that stuff, you know, is super important. That's definitely become more of a bedrock in, in what we do, even though it's hard, it's harder to do that stuff. Oh, absolutely. 100%. It is to re- recommend, a, recommend a diet or a supplement, but we've increasingly realized how important that is. And, and people, you know, we want people who work with us to, to find a purpose in life. And it's not like some big airy fairy thing. It's like, what mm. do you actually want to do, you know, with your life? It's, um, and we, we have a lot of people who stop, doing the sport they were doing or quit their job or, and, you know, I think part of this, you know, finding health in the long term is figuring this stuff out. And, you know, some people love their job and they love their training and we support them to do that and they continue to do well. And that's great. But, you know, equally, if 
part of your health issues that stem from you know the way you think about yourself and the job that you hate or the relationship you hate or the sport that you're doing that you actually hate but you don't know what to what else you can do or maybe you feel like you need to do it to you know validate yourself you need to work through that stuff too so so yeah it's my my short answer to your question is yes that's very important and we work on it a lot too but i i'm i just think you know like i always say to people like imagine you know when you go on holiday you know and you think think about how good you feel on holiday despite boozing a little bit more despite probably eating foods that you wouldn't normally eat at home a little bit more yet the amount of people that come back from Holland, they're like, oh, I don't understand it. When I was away, I was smashing pizza, pasta yeah. and beer and whatever, and I felt fantastic. I come back and, you know, I had a, a bolognese the other night and my gut went mental. And I'm like, yeah, but you're now back home in, like, cold yeah. England, yeah. probably in a job that you hate, stressed, not sleeping very well compared to topping up your vitamin D, sleeping loads, not setting an alarm, laughing, smiling, getting outside. And, and that's why I always say to people, you know, it's not necessarily a particular food group or whatever that's causing a problem and that's the enemy. It's the environment of which you've consumed it that is yeah. probably the, 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 the issue. Yeah. And, and it's, but like you say, it's really hard to get people to, because obviously, unless someone just plans on getting a job abroad or whatever in their head, they're a bit like, yeah, but I, I live in, I live in Hastings, <laughs> you know, like it's it's sunny and warm. Wait, and... Hastings, is, Hastings is on the sea. You go and walk the seaside. Yeah, but yeah. it still only sees sunshine about one point three percent of the year, probably. <laughs> that's still enough. <laughs> like, even if it's raining, that's enough to set a proper circadian rhythm, which people aren't doing. They're not going outside because it's raining, but that's still much better than the light you get indoors. Well, get, getting so, outside, full stop, is just beneficial, yeah. isn't it? And that's, that's what we you always say, you know, like what, what, whatever the weather. But you I just have a dog. That's what you need. It's best, true. Best health coach I'll ever have. Um, right, I'm conscious of time, Tommy. We've kept you for longer than we said. I've got That's one. Right, I think my dogs are just like they're not looking like they want to go outside right now. They're just like asleep at my feet. <laughs> oh. We've got one last question for you. Most important question. Yeah. You're getting married at the end of the week. What cake did you yeah, choose? Yeah, or twelve days. What cake did you choose? That's the question. What cake did we choose? So yeah. um, we're actually getting. We're getting cup. We're getting cupcakes. Oh really? Because that's easier, like like mini cupcakes. Oh, so like each one is like yeah. a bite. Because nobody wants like a big. Like, you know those big cupcakes which are like fifty percent that frosting on the top. Oh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't eat them. It's like they're just. I'll have like one bite and then feel kind of unwell. And so we have those. Um, we have some that are gluten free because we will have some gluten free people at the wedding. Um, uh, but yeah, so and various different, various, various different, various different flavors. Um, but I. I don't mean I didn't want to bring it up on the podcast, maybe we haven't received our invite yet. It must have got lost. It must have got lost in the post. Damn it! If you want to come, just it's. Uh, if you want to come, the, we've got a couple of spaces going. <laughs> um, jump on a flight. Uh, there'll be plenty of meat oh, at, the, oh, yeah. at the at the reception. And uh, yeah, it's it's NASCAR weekend, so you can go and watch some NASCAR. Yeah, as well. that sounds like a good. Could we get the way? Oh, no, we're we're going to look out on Facebook for photos. Is it going to be photos? We have an awesome photographer who posts lots of photos. It's weird, though. Oh, it, feels like, congratulations. it feels like you've been talking about getting married for like ages now. I just assumed yeah, you already were. 18, 18 months ago. So. Say again? I well, engaged 18 months ago. I think I've been on the podcast at least twice since we got engaged. Oh, so. 
it's stressful organizing it just having not not that i'm like hinting in any way to matt here is it did you get stressed you don't strike me you guys don't strike me as someone who gets stressed organizing that kind of um, elizabeth is very is very well organized so, so everything was in place you know a long time in advance 17 months uh, ago <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well the, 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 the main plans were in place 18 months ago but um you know i'm i'm i i'm a much less organized person so me taking the initiative on things is less likely to happen. So, you know, I, there are things I need to do and then I, I make sure I, I do them. But other mm-hmm. than that, I mean, Elizabeth has, has pretty much uh, has done it. Well, without, you know, definitely none of the bridezilla or anything like that. So it's been, it's been overall, it's been a pretty uh, relaxed process. Aww, oh, mate, well, we're, we're, we're very happy for you. Yeah, congrats. So what's her surname right now? Nance. Anna. So is she going to keep it as like a, like a double barrel or... Um, she'll, she'll at least keep her name for her professional, um, you know, the, the lab, you know, she has a lab, mo- like multiple students, a lot of research under her name. So she'll definitely keep that. Yeah, okay. Um, she may change it on, on some personal stuff, but I think it's, and I think that's important. And to be honest, I don't really, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't really get the name change thing. Like, uh, in Scandinavia, you, you usually don't change your name. Mm-hmm. My mum didn't take my dad's name when they got married. It's just, and, you know, again, they're also academics. So if you if you have, like, a professional name, either because you're doing research or because you're a doctor or something, you know, it doesn't make sense to change it. Um, so, and, and also it goes back to a time when the reason you took the name is because your husband then took ownership of you from your father. Um, and if really? anybody knows anything about Elizabeth, she knows that nobody would ever own her. So <laughs> I just, I, I think it's, you know, if people want to do it, I think that's great. It's a tradition. You want to do it because it's traditional, then that's fantastic. But equally, I, I think it, it also partly belongs in a time that yeah. isn't, it isn't the way things are now either. So I'm super relaxed about that stuff. Yeah, um, I agree I, with you there. I, it wouldn't bother me if you were like, oh, I want to remain a Marsden or whatever. I've probably got a double barrel name. I can't have another one anyway. Well, you've got, you've got like, Triple barrel yeah. name, haven't you? Yeah, long story. It's a long, it's a long name. <laughs> <laughs> right, Tommy, thank you so much uh, once again, mate. Um, it's always a pleasure having you on. So next well, time you'll you. be you'll be a married man, mate. Amazing. Yeah. We can talk about that, man. Maybe you and I will just do a podcast separately, and we can. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Right, mate. Well, listen, enjoy the rest of your day because you have got the rest of your day ahead, whereas it's our dinner time now. And, uh, yeah, we'll no doubt have you on again in the future, mate. Yeah, great. Looking forward to it. Thanks again. Awesome. Right, guys, hope you enjoyed that uh, episode. Any questions related to what we've spoken about, any questions about things you would like us to cover in the future, reach out to us, info at fitterfood.com. If you haven't done so already, leave a review on the podcast, pretty, pretty, please. Um, Even if it's a bad one, you know, ideally it won't be. um, But, you know, any any feedback is is good feedback because we we learn from it in, in one way or another and share this episode with anyone else that you think would benefit and now i'm going to say tara and see you in episode 102 cheers guys Bye.